we were always drawn to a heroic story because the hero says, oh, there's a horrible situation. I can do something about that. And I will. Watch me. And we're captivated by, by seeing that happen when other people do that. They stand up and go against the odds and all the great t- heroes uh, throughout history. They have stood in the face of challenges and said, I am greater than my circumstance. I am not at effect. I am the cause. And I'll create a whole new path where other people said it was not possible and they'll prove that it's not or I, I am greater than my circumstances. And we all want that. It's just such a risky thing to do because we can fail, look like an idiot and have to stand out from the crowd. And, but yet we're dying for it. What's the value of blame? Hello, my friends. My name is Chad, and this is the Naked Leadership Podcast, high-stakes conversations for relentless company founders. My co-host and I have over six decades of combined experience in leadership coaching, and this podcast is where we explore it all. There's no conversation too risky. This week, Adrian, Dan, and I sit down to chat about blame, shame, and credit. Yeah, blame, shame, and credit and the distinctions between those and responsibility. We talk about why people are so drawn to blame and credit, hint, it's self-serving, and what to create your culture around instead. So, hope this is helpful, hope you enjoy, let's dive in. Gentlemen, so good to be with you. Yeah. Good to be back. It has been a moment, we're out of practice. You know it. (laughs) But I think we could warm up real quick. We'll see how this goes. I'm here for it. I know. We'll let we'll let we'll I, let I the people my fancy listening. Sweater. Your sweater is really beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you've been pulling out some real statements lately. Thank you, man. I'm I'm yeah. I'm 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 experimenting with self-expression. Yeah, you're taking responsibility for your own um, style. I like I, it. Yep. Yep. I'm done saying I don't know what to wear. I'm I'm just gonna go wear it. Great. Well, uh, at the beginning of this call, uh, or the the beginning of this conversation, rather, uh, this is a conversation we're going to have about blame. And I'm really excited to have this conversation. This is blame or responsibility. Well, you know, I think it's going to be a little bit of both, but I think we're going to start with blame. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Can you talk about one without the other? I don't think so. Um, so we'll play a little clip. Dan, you sent this to our little uh, Instagram chat earlier today, and I thought it was a great introduction to, as an example of what we're talking about, and then we can explore it a bit. The question I want to leave with you, uh, or or start with, and people could be thinking about it while we listen to this clip, both of you could be thinking about it while we're listening to this clip, is why are people so attracted to blame? What is it about blame that draws us to it? What do we think we're accomplishing? So uh, I'm going to play the clip. This clip, just to explain those who are just listening, this is a clip. It, it looks like an older clip. I don't know how old it is or not, but it's it's uh, Glenn Greenwald and Bill Maher. And, uh, and they're having a little debate about here, or a little debate about something, and we'll, we'll take a listen. How can you be a citizen of the United States, the country that has generated more violence and militarism in the world over the last five or six decades and say, look at those people over there. They are incredibly violent. We play a significant role in what has been happening in the Middle East because we've well, been interfering and dominating that region in order to have access to the oil. I wasn't talking about Israel. violence. So, I was talking about theocracy. That doesn't happen here. That doesn't happen here. But at the same time, Iran isn't invading lots of other countries and occupying them for a decade, nor are fundamentalist Muslim countries the way the United States is. So these things are interlinked because we are continuously interfering in that part of the world. And so to say it's all our fault. 
it's not all our fault, but when you send your military for six straight decades into other countries to bomb them, kill their children and women and innocent men, we prop up dictators, you know that, yeah, you take responsibility for your actions and say, to the extent that that region That religion is, goes back a thousand years before our revolution. So I don't think we could take all the blame. I don't think we should. I think we should take a lot of it. And there's lots of really? bodies and corpses that have been piled up in the name of Christianity and Judaism as well. Not. So we'll stop it there. So, Dan, first, I just want to hear from you. What prompted you to send that in response? I mean, you knew we'd be, you knew this would be our topic today. Wanted to hear what your thoughts were, what caught, what caught your, your eye or your ear. Well, what caught my eye or ear on that is how confused the culture is about what responsibility is and the difference between blame, shame, and credit and responsibility. So, you know, responsibility. Blame, shame, and credit is kind of first the thing we should look at. And you said something. You asked a great question. Why are we so attracted to blame, right? And so if I'm blame is I'm I'm putting the onus on you. You're at fault, or it's at fault. Shame is I'm at fault, and I'm condemning myself for it. And credit is look how good I am because I'm the one who made that happen. Now, all of them are focused on the past, and they're focused on a very specific um, intention. There's an aim in that, and the aim is, I want to be right, I want to be justified, I want to be exonerated. And so the purpose of the communication is to make myself right and to exonerate myself from having to do anything about what the condition is, because... I justified what's gone on. And so whenever you hear that, you know things aren't going to change. Whenever if I'm if you and I are talking and we're going to have a we're going to account and I and I blame you or myself and I give you a good story about it and why it happened and this is it. But I've never talked about what didn't work. I didn't talk about what did work. I didn't talk about what was missing. I just talked about how this was justified. Or, you know, like, and if you listen to that clip, that's what's going on. And when when Greenwald was talking about the impact of having our armies, you know, being so such a militaristic force in the world and supporting so many different dictatorships to secure our positions and interests, in a way, he's inviting us to at least learn about what has happened up until now, what didn't work. They didn't ask that question. They all, they all got bogged down in the whole side conversation where Morris says, well, you know, they've had a history of this and blah, blah, blah. And um, and so it, that that's all about justifying and being right about what's happened up until now. But I think we could all agree that whatever's happened up until now, it hasn't worked. Now, if we can get there, we can say it didn't work without blaming ourselves or anybody else. We can then say, okay, what has worked up until now? What hasn't worked? And what's missing? So if I can communicate what's missing, we can get a good view. If we can together come up with what's really missing and not try to justify why it's missing or who's at fault for it missing, we can get a good view of what's wanted and needed because what's missing is going to define what's wanted and needed to have whatever we're committed to, to show up. And in this case, let's say peace. 
or you know, or or you know, collaboration or whatever. But we don't get there because responsibility has nothing to do with blame, shame, or credit. It doesn't have to do with justification or rationalization or you know, positioning oneself and being right about the past. What responsibility has to do is with is deriving what was working and not working, what was missing and what's wanted needed so we could provide that because responsibility is always about the future, about how can I bring this future into being given the current situation, circumstance, resource. Good. And that's a very different way of standing than blaming and shaming and crediting, you know, giving credit where we think it's due. It just, it, it completely ignores what's wanted and needed to really have it turn out. And, and that requires a curiosity, a humility, a willingness to learn that isn't going to come to the surface if I'm too busy asserting why it is the way it is and who's at fault. The, Adrian, as you think about the this original question that was set up, uh, you know, why are people so attracted to shame? It's interesting, Dan, as you were talking about what I what I thought of, the visual that I thought of is that we're giving up our we're giving up our inheritance for porridge. For our soup. For a bowl of soup, yep. Yeah. Yep. For just whatever. There's not really an outcome of that conversation of, of blame, shame, or credit other than what whatever gratification we get for it. And we're missing the gold. And yeah. And it starts with acknowledging what's not working, declaring this, which is what Greenwald was starting to do. He was declaring very accurately what wasn't working and pointing yeah. out that whatever's not working isn't working on all sides. Right. So that yeah. part was, I think, clear. But then he got hooked into Mars' accusation, you know, or Mars' observation about it's happening everywhere. You know, this has been going on. Yeah, so what? What does that have to do with what we're committed to have happen? What does that have to do with understanding what's wanted and needed right now? Let's, like, what does that, except for the fact that we get to look good and be right and look who they're the bad guys and we're the good guys, and both sides yep. are, or all sides are saying that. So, Well, the blame game is so hooky, Adrian. Yeah. Well, you know, so many thoughts here. First off, and we didn't we didn't catch it in this clip, and I'm curious about the longer conversation. If in, in the absence of an aim, because he wasn't, they weren't stating an aim in that clip. And maybe there was an aim before that or something, um, or maybe we got to it. You know, and 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 these folks are commentators, right? So they get paid to like be dramatic in their views, and you know, fill airtime. Yet, if I mean, why why do people love blame? Well, because they don't have to be about anything new. I think that's the biggest thing. Like we don't have to be courageous at all. Like blame is a, is a is the opposite of courage, right? So I'm just there to justify whose fault it is, and of course it's not me; it's somebody else, right? So I just get to justify, exonerate because we're here and it sucks. I don't want to have a conversation about where to go because that would take some courage. Or what's needed from me or from us, and I would they'd have to step in and, and you know uh, intervene and put myself on the line. So that's that's the first thing that comes to me is like you know the it, blame and, and blame and shame and credit uh, come to the surface rather quickly uh, whenever I'm not willing to state an aim. Aim for listeners, what I mean by that is where what I'm committed to, the future that I'm committed to having. Um, 
there, so, there is an aim. The aim is to be justified or to be right. Right. Or to be yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's an aim in the combo. To your point, I'm saying yeah. uh, they're talking about a, uh, what's happening in society or what's happening, you know, on the ground somewhere over there. And there wasn't a conversation, like you said, peace. Like this wasn't like either one were saying, hey, we were committed to getting to peace. So that's the purpose of all this conversation is around the gap between, to your point, the gap between where we are now and getting to peace. Because I think just like in lots of conversations, if you're listening to this and thinking about how does this play in your, uh, in your field, in your team, with yourself, with your family, with whatever it is, um, you know, there's tons of cynicism when it comes to the Middle East in particular, but nothing new is going to happen there. Uh, I think that's kind of a massive historical racket that this is an inevitable chasing of the tail. And, um, and, and choosing a side and bolstering that side only perpetuates what we've had, you know, more of what we don't want. So yeah. and it takes courage to go, well, let's really take a look at this from all sides because either side when at its worst doesn't want to see what the other may be going through or what they may be perceiving there's not a whole lot of curiosity or wonderment yeah. on it in which which is odd because it's such a problem it's been plaguing us it's obvious we haven't gotten to the real issue or it would get cleared up and maybe maybe in, you know based on results it's what at least the governments want up until now, you know, based on results, because well, sure. that's what we want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, what I was thinking about while you were going on, Dan, and sharing and watching the thing is, you know, this whole, you know, allies and enemies type conversation, um, right. how, how rare we are as humans to wonder, how am I like my enemy? Like the one that's the problem? How am I like them? Yeah, and that's that's, yeah. that's a pretty daring question. Um, you could take that whole listener, and you could just say, "How am I like my spouse?" Or right. when I'm at odds with them, or how am I like my you know, one of my leadership team when we're at odds with each other? Yeah, right on. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you have to, you know, that question won't even come into view unless I want, unless I'm committed to something new. Yeah. Because it just doesn't, I mean, I, I would not dare, my ego definitely would not dare to wonder how I am, what I'm complaining about. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I mean, we're, we're drawn to blame because blame, you know, saves us from looking in the mirror. Yes. Mm -hmm. I was, I had an experience this morning. This is, this was so perfect because we talked about having this conversation uh, last night and then this morning Milo comes roaring out of the bathroom with this little fidget spinner thing that he's got that he just loves that he, he's got a couple days ago who put this in the bathroom <laughs> and he was and he went right after Kenya who's my middle daughter because they're you know they're eternal enemies forever right and okay. anything that that happens that Milo doesn't like it's Kenya and so he comes roaring out of the bathroom who put this Kenya you put this in the bathroom Oh, you do blah, 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 blah. You know, why do you do that? That's disgusting. <laughs> so good. And, uh, and you know, took him a minute to get him caught. Kenya comes barking back and took a minute to calm him down. And I just wanted to, it was so, it, this, this primed me for that conversation. It was just, I just asked him, you know, 
Let me ask you, what is the purpose of blame? Like, why do you want to, Milo, why do you want to blame Kenya? Kenya, why do you want to blame, or when is it useful to blame? And, you know, after we got over the, you know, after we got past the eye rolls because, oh, shit, dad has to turn everything into a, in, into a stupid lesson. Why can't we just argue and fight and then be done? And uh, we got past that. And then they engaged with me in a really great conversation. And Kenya made this comment, which I'm going to, I know it's, it, it's rudimentary, but I want to hear what you guys, how you guys answer it compared to how I answered it. She said, well, blame is useful when we have murderers. Because we need to know who they are, blame them, and then put them in jail so everybody's safe. So I'm curious what your response to that would be. Well, it's interesting. Holding somebody to account for their actions and impact is distinct from blaming them. I would make that distinction immediately. So uh, it's like I was Back thinking about. Bit. I was thinking about this San, uh, San Bank Bankman Freed deal. And uh, they're going to lock him up. You know, he's been found guilty on all accounts. And my thought was, you know, okay, we're going to punish him. I don't know. How about having him work until he pays it all back or some portion of it back? Like, how about, you know, making him, having him account for and correct the issue and put him through some rehab and support him in thinking, you know, like, like hey, we'll do the same thing with a murderer rather than just punish them. And and yeah, I certainly I think they need to be there needs to be some remediation in the process, but I don't know if being punitive about it's going to make the big difference. But I do think and I think we're much more courageous and we get deeper into people if we can be hard on the problem and really like be there for them. Like like it serves them to give an account to face the 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 victims of their actions, the impact that they've produced so that they can be impacted by it. And if they're not, well, that then we can move from there. But I think the idea would be to rehab people, not just punish them all the way around. Yeah. You know, but it's a like punishment just seems, it's just so savory. You know, it's like we, we, we paid them back. Revenge. We paid them back. And yeah. You've got a little Italian in there. That's what, that's what that is. Yeah, it's just so savory. Like we've done something about it. Yeah, we haven't done. You know, very few are, are not often. Is our conversation around what's actually the most helpful decision? Yeah, which is what you're, which is what you're saying. Like, how do we deal with this in a way that actually solves the issue versus just look good with punishing the bad guys? Life is not fair. It's what you negotiate. Let me say that one more time. Life is not fair. It's what you negotiate. Now, that's an interesting thought. If that's true, it means that everything you have in life right now, the possessions, the relationships, the fitness, the mindset, are all a product of your negotiations with others and yourself. And if that's true, wouldn't you want to be very clear on how you negotiate what's effective and what's ineffective? what your strengths are and what your blind spots are. It is, after all, producing all the results in your life. 
So here's the deal. We put together a 15 question quiz that you can take in five minutes or less and find out exactly what your negotiation style is. The results of this quiz will give you insight into your strengths and blind spots in negotiation. It will also give you insight in how you can accentuate those strengths or compensate for the blind spots. Think for just one second with me, all of the conversations you're having in your life. Think about compensation or advancement conversations with people on your team, discussing financial decisions with a partner, or just getting your kids to get their damn shoes on so that you can leave the house. All of these conversations are negotiations. This simple yet powerful tool has the potential to reinvent the way you get what you want in every aspect of life. Go to negotiation.takenewground.com right now or click the link in the description of this episode and find out what negotiation style you embody. You can thank us later. Now back to the show. Yeah. I had, I had a client it this morning. With, you know, was, I knew we were having this conversation. and This client has a, a tech firm and uh, they really, I guess their lead tech, their CTO, jumped on making a bunch of corrections on the servers and rather than just make one, they made five or six because it was convenient. The guy lives in Belarus. And um, it was interesting because the client said, well, I don't want this to happen again. I, I don't understand. And he kept talking about the symptom. I said, well, what's missing in the car, in your relationship? And he goes, what do you mean in my relationship? I said, well, think about the conversation that you're having with this, your, this gentleman that is your CTL as a relationship, that the conversation is the relationship and there's something in the conversation that makes this a problem. Because it's not a, it was, it's not a normal problem because this guy's been with you for four years and he knows the dependencies of what happens if he makes if something goes bad. And the guy goes, oh yeah, I never thought about that. I said, yeah. So I wonder what is not happening in the conversation that could open up a new possibility where this could have been caught early. Because as we talked about it, and looked at what worked and what didn't work, this could have been caught earlier. And he said, I never thought about it. And we talked about, if you want to be responsible for the culture you're committed to and the actions people are taking that will support the mission of the organization, then I best be crafting the kinds of relationships or conversations with people where that is the aim. And that if something's missed, I'd be taking, I get curious about, well, I wonder what I missed. I wonder what they missed. I wonder what the people connected to them missed that this went on. And if I have that conversation diligently on an ongoing basis, I'm willing to bet that clears up and doesn't happen again, or you'll catch it before it does. And he, he was like right with me. He, he's like, oh, I never thought of it that way. I keep yeah. thinking of my relationships more transactionally. And it makes sense because I... I find myself sometimes even despairing about having to have these conversations because it's just about getting people to do something rather than inventing something worth doing together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was in a conversation with a client this morning, very similar. He's been going through, he's got a startup now, um, had a big company in the past that didn't get great outcomes. And he's sitting down now with these folks and having a conversation with them about what their aim is. And um, was really is shocked by the vitality in the conversations, like by the connection that's happening. I mean, he's like, holy shit, like this was really amazing. He's shocked by it. And he was saying to me, 
He's like, is it just these people? Like, is this just, they happen to be these people? Like, and I'm like, no, man, no, it's just you. <laughs> because same, same thing. He's had such a, a transactional relationship with the people on his team. He's a big name founder. He's had, but historically has only been to like get people to do shit. That's like what he called leadership. And now he's having mm -hmm. a deeper conversation and he's scared of it in the sense that, you know, are they going to get freaked out and leave? That's one of his major concerns. Like if he pushes in this way and like calls people to the table to have real dialogue around what we're doing and who are you and what are you committed to and what do you want and a conversation around this, this uh, domain we call taking a stand. Um, and, you know, he's like, I, may, I don't know. This might be like too much for people. I'm like, is it too much for you? No, I actually feel great when I'm like really, yeah. So what you know this like the that, answer is the answer is yes people will leave yes yeah right? people that eat leave will leave and then That's you'll right. attract the people that want to do that right on yeah. right, right on. on um but it's it just so natural i mean we can get back to the topic a little bit but so natural to think about even for him as he's going to keep pressing in one of his questions was because should i keep pushing or is it going to be too much for people and yeah, you know, and, and which is a fair, fair question. And, you know, uh, I, I said, well, what do you want, man? Like, do you want a team that operates this way or not? Oh, I do want it to. Okay, good. Well then get yourself out of this like existential question. Like, can they handle it or not? If you stay alive, like stay meaning alive, like present connected to these people, you'll pay attention. There might be some resistance and you don't have to resist the resistance. You don't have to like force. It's interesting. He's kind of thinking about how to make people now be more present because he used to make them do shit. Now it's like, how do I make them be present? Well, you don't, <laughs> he wouldn't say, we didn't say just quite that way, but you know, if he's taking responsibility for the context, like you're saying, and the quality of the conversation and just is unapologetic about what he's up to. Yeah. 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 Then I, it's, I, a big, it's a big invitation. I asked my guy, what if you measured not just productivity or effectiveness, but also measured in each conversation the level of presence that was there. Mm -hmm. Like, if you want to know if it's going to go through, what kind of presence was in the, were you in the conversation? How present were they? How present did you call them to be? What? You know, like the, if the presence is high, the likelihood of action is going to be effective and, and probably going to accomplish more than if it's just transactional yeah you know so one second thing, coaching, one thing i want to second, make sure i'm sorry go for it go, go for it go ahead Eddie. i was just gonna say second conversation today with a client fascinating engineer aerospace engineer talking about his own experience you know he's been in a really big sprint and it was really hard and he, he took on an extra department to, uh, just because it was what was needed and it was new for him and all this and he was a big victim to it and was thinking about quitting and blah, blah, blah. And now he's back and the thing's working. And, you know, anyway, he's got some great results. And he's, he said, I know it's going to go back to what it was before. Then I just said, well, are you willing to put that in the maybe category? You seem really certain that doom is on its way. But trust me, you will create the doom. Whatever you are sure will happen, you will make happen. Your brain and will gather that exactly exactly and his assignment that he gave himself 
after the call was for him to get clear um, after my provoking, like, for, hey, what experience are you committed to having over the next six months with your team? That yeah, disconnected from the circumstances because they're going to go build this next version of the thing and there are going to be a shit ton of problems. But naturally, they, I talked about the universal human paradigm that something's wrong or bad or broken with me, them, or it. And I said, you know, you're going to naturally go pull this. And most people, when they're hit by problems, they say life shouldn't be a problem. And so now my life sucks because this thing is happening. Back to blame and shame and credit. Like this thing's happening. It sucks. Therefore, my experience sucks. Therefore, I don't want to be here anymore. And what a yeah. low level of living of that, like that, who, who I see myself to be in the context of, of, of challenging circumstances. And he already said, oh, this conversation is not going to go well with the people. I said, well, I, okay. What if you yeah. just get clear, my friend, about what experience you're committed to having, and then just go share that with them. Let them know exactly what you're up to, how you're going to be relating to the problems that we know are coming and how you're, you're, you're choosing now, how you're going to relate to them. And he said, okay, I can do that. Okay, good. Lots of good start. And then you're going to invite them into wondering for themselves. This, his team has never had this conversation. Most people don't have this conversation of how am I committed to being in the challenge? Because most of us are just at effect, right? We'd say that challenges externally equal challenges internally. And it doesn't have to be so, but that's, that's, that is that shift. Spade, what does she talk about that effect? Well, why don't you do it? Because, you'd, you'd probably say you'd probably say it better than I would. I can right. spitball about it. What I'm what I mean by, yeah. by like I am when I say add effect, it's like I I mirror what's happening externally. Right on. The yeah, you are an effect of what's happening versus a cause. Right. Right on. And and it comes from an automatic mindset, right? I, Yes. I'm automatically reacting because it triggered something and now I'm in my amygdala and not my brain, I'm not in mm -hmm. my neocortex. And I'm just reacting and I'm reacting to what's happening. So I'm an effect of what's happening. So, yeah. And it's always, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's always a very historically, um, uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, the reference Grounded. point is history. It, it, yeah, the reference point is history. I, I can't think of the exact word I'm looking for, but you know, it's very historical on our view, right? So, and this is this is just the human programming. Like, we don't like trouble. Trouble equals bad. Um, you know, problems are bad. People that are problems oh. are bad, wrong or bad or broken. And you know, and we ought not have to go through that, right? It's all hooked into some of our entitlement viewpoint that things ought to go easy for me. And life ought to be easy. It ought to be a certain way. And so when it doesn't show up that way, I'm naturally victimized by that. And then I become the reaction that I am. I become, you know, my judgment of the thing. Like it shouldn't be that way. I actually become the judgment, right? And so now I am standing there and I've been taken over by that conversation, that spirit, if you will, or that conversation has been around forever. Like it's, it's bad. It shouldn't be bad. Now I'm reacting to the bad instead of, what is the possibility here for me? Yeah. You know, so, I so when I say out effect, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. You see, we, we see the contrast is great. I mean, that's the difference. That's why we were always drawn to a heroic story because the hero says, oh, 
there's a horrible situation. I can do something about that. And I will. Yeah. Watch me. Yeah. Yeah. And we're captivated is- by, by seeing that happen when other people do that. They stand up and go against the odds and all the great t- heroes uh, throughout history. They have stood in the face of challenges and said, I am greater than my circumstance. I am not at effect. I am the cause. And I'll create a whole new path where other people said it was not possible. And they'll prove that it's not. Or I, I am greater than my circumstances. And we all want that. It's just such a risky thing to do because we can fail, look like an idiot, and have to stand out from the crowd. And, but yet we're dying for it. Well, and there's so much sympathy for the one who doesn't do it. And it's like, oh, right you on. know, it's because of the circumstance, the history, color of my skin, the, you know, the, well, I'm, I'm a white guy. People don't like white guys anymore. Uh, you know, that kind of thing. And now I'm going to shut up and self-censor because, you know, nobody's going to listen to me and, what was me? And then people will come around and say, you know, you're right, you poor thing. Uh, you know, and now I call them friends instead of accomplices, and mm-hmm. we're off to the races. We're off yeah. to a very un- a dissatisfied life. Yeah. Yeah. And or, if we look uh, back to the uh, purpose like of the combo, go. I'm sorry, you go, Chad. Oh, go. I was just going to say, uh, you know, there's the place that I want to end is we've, in this conversation, we've lumped together blame, shame, and credit. Mm-hmm. It's, and for me, the first time I heard both of you talk about this, I think the first time I heard about it was Adrian when I when I hired you um, as the uh, as the founder of my company, and that was the first time you kind of lumped those three together. And I was like, okay, got it, great. Blame, shame, I get it. Credit seems out of place for me. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what that was my experience. I think that's a pretty common experience, right? Because then I'm going through my head and like, well, I want to celebrate my people. I want to celebrate my team when they do something good, but they do something that's, you know, contributing to the vision. They keep their commitments, blah, 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 blah. I want to feel good about what I'm up to and the and the contribution that I'm making isn't all of that credit. So I want to I don't want to brush past this because it's so this conversation is really impactful. Yeah, I would put it in the domain of um, acknowledging what worked and acknowledging the fact that they took these actions, they worked, these are things we're doing, that worked, congratulations. But I'm not giving credit. It isn't like one person had it turn out. Everybody contributed. You know, if you think about it on a team, it's like, let's let's talk about what worked so we can take that with us, and now let's talk about what's wanted and needed. You know, like what's... What didn't work and how can we bring that to the surface? And we could acknowledge people for what they did that worked so that we can reinforce it, right? However, I'm not, you know, you can call that credit, I guess, but what I don't want to do is take it into my identity, nor do I want them to, because if they fail, then they may not even talk about what didn't work because they're afraid of, now I'm not going to be that person or I'm not going to get that credit, right? Whereas I want to give, I want to acknowledge the person who brings the breakdown to the pro, and says, "Hey, look, this isn't working. I don't. I'm lost." That's as that works as well as something that works because now we can start with what we have and make action, take action that'll be powerful because we're looking at what worked and what didn't work. So I guess credit would be not take giving it to their identity, but acknowledging what they did that worked, mm-hmm. and and this I is- want to separate those. This is how I'm challenged by awards, even, you know, when we think about big prestigious awards, maybe it's Academy Awards or 
some award for like prestigious award for some scientific development or something like that. And, you know, you could be the person at the at that one intersection of time that just got that last piece in place and then and then you're the one recognized or you're the one, you know, that gives is giving credit for this breakthrough. And it's on on the backs of your team, all the people who went before you that made the discoveries, all of that sort of stuff. So it's yeah. it's an interesting thing to think about when when giving an individual credit. Right. Well, and if you listen to some people when they get an award, they'll actually acknowledge the team and acknowledge everything that contributed to that, what worked, right? And it's so refreshing to hear because it's about them as much as it's about the shoulders they stand on, the people they work with, the commitment they have to what they're, you know, the vision. That's really powerful. But yeah, it, it's it would be a good thing to distinguish between I'm getting this award because of what worked. And, and it's not just me. It's everybody I stand with that were on the team and before me. That came before me. It's a great point. So yeah, I I I think one of the major distinctions here between the the two realms we're talking. So we're talking blame, shame, and credit, and then we're talking responsibility. I think that probably the challenge, or what doesn't work with the the former blame, shame, and credit, is that you know it generates a couple of things. One is it generates separateness. Yeah. Um, and then and two, it, it naturally it's like a it's like a marker in time. And obviously any marker we have in time, we've left it already. Like even just the sentence I just said, it's over. And now I'm here in this moment in time and I'm always in this moment in time. So it's a way to kind of cement us back into something we have no control over instead of if I'm in a responsibility, responsibility is always and only like right here in this moment. I can't be responsible for what will happen next. I can only be responsible for what's happening right now and how it contributes to what happens next. But I, responsibility is just present um, yeah, it's, yeah. It's instead of historical. And that's like really, really where the power is. If I can make this distinction that even if I look at things that I'm blamey and shamey and giving credit about um, and what I'm doing with that now, like the 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 utilization of the even those stories, I can even take responsibility for all the blame, shame, and credit. And that can be useful now. But it always happens like in this moment and it's connected, is I guess my point. Is that well, the the detriment of those viewpoints is it's historical and it's separateness instead of me here right now. That's good. Strong. Yeah, I, there's definitely that, you know, that like we talked at the beginning, that sense of time, future, now past uh -huh. Uh -huh. if i'm aware of that that i can stay in the moment and i can stand for the future and whatever comes up in the moment is perfect like i love that stoic the obstacle is the way but uh -huh. of course i have to keep bringing my brain that direction because it is sure that there's something wrong bad or broken with that obstacle uh -huh. that that way. yep yep yeah this is great thank you so thank you both so much Thank you, Chad. Thank, Thanks thank, for stirring thank, it up. Mm -hmm. Of course. Bye-bye, everybody. Ciao. Well, my friends, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Naked Leadership Podcast. As a heads up, every Friday we post a Cliff Notes version of that week's conversation with all the highlights in under five minutes. Check that out for a quick and powerful reminder of the principles discussed. I hope this conversation has been valuable to you. If it has, the greatest compliment you could pay us is sharing it with somebody who could use it. Thanks so much for listening and until next week, bye-bye everybody.